0: This is Aesthetics Bites, a series for Philosophy Bites with me, Nigel Warburton. And me, David Edmonds. Aesthetics Bites is made in association with the London Aesthetics Forum and made possible by a grant from the British Society of Aesthetics. We respond emotionally to characters in novels. But how can we make sense of this? How can we pity a fictional character? How can we be frightened for a character? After all, we don't believe these characters really exist. So are the emotions we have towards fictional characters of a different sort to those we have towards real people, in real life? Here's the real Kathleen Stock. Kathleen Stock, welcome to Aesthetics Bites. Hello. The topic we're going to focus on is fiction and the emotions. Now, let's get specific. We're going to be talking about emotions that readers feel towards fictional characters. Could you begin by giving an example of of the kind of thing that people feel?
1: Sure. So one of my favourite books is Jane Eyre, and the first half of that book is rather harrowing for the reader, because Jane is, as a young girl, first in a terrible situation with her family. She's been orphaned, and she's farmed out to relatives that really don't like her and are horrible to her. And then she's sent to an orphanage called Lowood, where life gets even worse. So as you read those sections of the book, characteristically the reader feels pity for Jane, the orphan Jane, And also at some points when she's being bullied horribly, something like fear.
0: And if somebody read that book and didn't feel those emotions, we'd start to suspect they're not really engaging with it as a novel.
1: Well, I think so. I mean, it was clearly part of uh, Bronte's intention to evoke those emotions and to the extent that the reader doesn't and they fail to do something they were supposed to do with respect to that book. But people vary in their being highly responsive or low responders. And low responders that don't respond to Jane Eyre are probably, this is an empirical claim, so it might be wrong, but I'm guessing they'd be unlikely to respond very strongly in life anyway. I think what you're unlikely to find is someone who responds very highly with fear and pity to their fellow man, but is completely indifferent to Jane Eyre. That would be a strange combination. I'm not saying it's impossible. I'm just saying it's unusual.
0: Quite a few philosophers have seen this experience of an emotion about a fictional character as something paradoxical.
1: Absolutely. So the thought is something like this ordinarily that is in emotions with respect to ordinary people around us not fictional objects emotions seem to exhibit certain properties so let's concentrate on fear and pity the two that I initially talked about when you fear something characteristically you believe that that thing exists and you believe that it's threatening in some respect so there's a rational basis for your emotion and equally when you pity someone you tend to believe that they exist again and that they're in a situation deserving of pity. So that's one aspect of emotion standardly characterised that looks absent in the case of fiction.
0: Those two cases are a little bit different though, aren't they? Because the reader feels pity as if I were feeling pity towards you if you're in an awkward situation. But the reader doesn't feel fear. The reader feels a kind of concern about the situation in which the character is in, they're not frightened themselves, they're frightened that something is going to happen perhaps.
1: Yes, so fear can be for oneself, but fear can also be for someone else. And in the ordinary case, even when you're fearing for someone else, there still looks like there's a characteristic set of beliefs. So you believe that that person is being threatened or harmed or is about to be. So the problem still arises, I think, whether or not you characterise the emotion as fear for oneself or fear for other people.
0: Yet the readers clearly don't believe that Jane Eyre is a real person and that's quite a serious obstacle to this being a genuine emotion in some philosophers' eyes.
1: Yes, so someone like Kendall Walton has said and been very influential in this view that we should characterise our responses to Jane Eyre, for instance, are fear like, pity like responses as quasi emotions, not real emotions, because precisely they're not accompanied by the kinds of belief that ordinarily accompany our so called real emotions. So we don't believe that Jane Eyre existed. We know that she's a figment of Charlotte Bronte's imagination, and yet we have these responses. They may feel like pity, they may feel like fear. So when we're sitting at the cinema and there's some green slime coming towards us fictionally, It may feel as if we're frightened, and he doesn't deny that the feelings are real. He just wants to categorise those feelings differently and say that in the case of relation to fictional objects, they're one thing, and in the case of relation to real-world objects, they're another. So we've got two kinds of thing, not one.
0: So is he saying that when I break the arm of my action man, the emotion I feel, pity for action man is a similar thing. Is that what's going on? It's that kind of quasi-emotion. I don't really believe that action man is a sentient being. I just play this game.
1: That's a really good example. It fits very well with his theory because it's a further part of his theory that we take these feelings, these genuine physiological feelings in response to imaginary situations, and we construct a further imaginary game around them, according to which it's fictional that we're feeling real Emotions. So the action man story, he would, I guess, say, you know, you imagine that your action man is hurt. You imagine that he's broken his arm. You feel something physiologically and you imagine of yourself that you're feeling pity. So it's a make believe emotion as opposed to the real life case.
0: So we've talked about the fact that the beliefs on which the emotions are based seem problematic for some people in terms of reading fiction here, but is that it? Is that the only criticism that could be levelled at the idea that we're having genuine emotions in response to characters?
1: No, there's a couple of others. So one of them is connected to the idea that, again, in the ordinary baseline case, emotions seem to be often connected to characteristics, forms of behaviour, or at least motivations to behave in certain ways. And particularly, again, if you focus on fear, someone who is frightened will tend to act in a characteristic way. If they're frightened for themselves, they will tend to flee a situation. If they're frightened for someone else, they'll tend to want to intervene and warn a person or save the person. If you pity someone, there's some characteristic responses associated with that, behavioural responses, so you might want to help the person and you'll be moved to help them. So the claim is that emotions standardly are connected to these behavioural responses and in the case of fiction again they're absent. So we sit in the cinema allegedly frightened but we don't move, we carry on watching and and we even eat popcorn while we do it and that does not look like the standard manifestation of fear.
0: One of the strange things about reading is that we Feel emotions toward characters, emotions that if we were having them towards real people might be quite disturbing for us, but we somehow enjoy the experience of reading the book. Mm.
1: Again, this is another reason one might add to the list to suggest that our so called emotional responses to fictional objects are different in some way to our ordinary ones, because it looks like fear for most people is a negative experience and pity as well. And yet, in the context of fiction, it looks like people actively seek out. Occasions to feel this thing. Most obviously in the case of film, horror films, scary films, that will actually pay money to go and have an experience which on the face of it looks like fear, but most people wouldn't do that in real life. So then the thought is, well, phenomenologically it must be different, and if it's phenomenologically different, then maybe we've got a different kind of thing here.
0: So just to clarify where we've got to, things that look different in our experience of fiction as opposed to real life is, first of all, that we're feeling emotions towards fictional characters so we have a belief that they don't exist that's odd secondly there's this phenomenon that we don't do the kinds of things we would normally do if we had the emotion in relation to a real person we don't act on the pity we feel towards Jane Eyre thirdly there's the problem that people seem to enjoy the emotions which if they were felt in real life with real people would be quite disturbing The combination of those seems to suggest that, at least for Kendall Wharton and some other philosophers, that what we're dealing with in our experience of fiction is quasi emotions, not the straightforward emotions that we feel towards genuine existing people. So you're not happy with that explanation?
1: No. I actually think that under all these headings, there are things that can be said to show that ordinary emotions are being mischaracterized in a way that's misleading. So for instance, if we take the alleged problem of belief the idea that in the ordinary case there's standardly a belief present that the object of your fear exists for instance and that's it is threatening you or somebody else well that doesn't seem so obviously true when you consider fears about the future for instance so you can quite conceivably fear future events that you don't believe exist now now I'm not saying that the analogy is perfect because I can see that somebody might say, okay, but you don't believe fictional objects exist at all. And you do believe about objects of the future that they might exist or something like that. You don't even believe that fictional objects might exist. But nonetheless, the very strong constraint that was originally posited on the connection between emotion and belief looks somewhat loosened when you take into account that you might also think about cases where you fear what might have been you think about that time that your car nearly crashed on the m1 and you don't believe it did and you don't believe it might in the future even but you still feel what looks like a perfectly coherent and rational fear response so one way in which i think the problem gets sorted out is by getting an expanded more realistic conception of emotion which takes into account this kind of thing
0: Seems to me fear is basic, it's something which protects us from danger and you'd expect biologically us to have evolved in a way where we're trigger happy. We feel fear even when the situation isn't genuinely dangerous because that's what protects us. Maybe fiction triggers some of that?
1: I think it definitely triggers some of that and you can see that in the cinema in particular. The filmmakers' use of loud noises, jump cuts, is tapping into a certain kind of very basic... Primitive response that we'll have that's got really nothing to do or very little to do with how we're processing the plot. There's fear systems that operate relatively basically and, say, subcortically. But then I think there's also very likely to be relatively higher order emotional responses, fear responses included, which are to do with our perception of what's happening, plot events, or our representational. But even here, we can tell a story about the function of fear and how it's very unlikely that fear would be limited only to those situations where we positively believed that there was something happening to harm ourselves or others. So one of the major uses of the imagination, it looks like, adaptively, is to plan or to anticipate or to predict or to be ready. And to that extent, we might run through scenarios, imaginary scenarios in our minds, and feel emotional responses in relation to those imaginary scenarios As a way of preparing ourselves and it looks like it's that sort of capacity that also gets used when we engage in fiction and there's a perfectly good explanation for that and so there's just no reason to deny that those are genuinely emotional responses to imaginary situations. We just need an expanded conception of what the role of emotion is.
0: If I'm reading a biography and I don't know what actually happened in somebody's life, somebody now dead, I can imagine feeling all kinds of emotions towards the real person and I'm anticipating certain things might happen. I'm scared this person is now in the trenches in the First World War. Are they going to survive? I don't know. And that seems to me very strongly analogous to the sorts of feelings I would have when reading a novel about the First World War.
1: Yes, I think that seems right. There doesn't seem to be much difference on the face of it between a fictionalised account of the First World War experience. For instance, the novels of Pat Barker, they're very visceral and they're informed by historical events. I think she did a lot of research, but they are imaginary and a historical account of what the soldiers said and their experiences. And I think actually this is a good point at which to bring in the second kind of worry that people like Walton have had about emotions in response to fiction when they've connected ordinary emotion to motivation. And they've said that if we really pitied someone then we'd be motivated to help them we don't seem to be motivated to help fictional characters and therefore this can't really be pity. But we could equally say that when we read a biography or a historical document about the past, we're not motivated to help the soldiers we're reading about. And the reason seems obvious. We don't know how to. There's no way of helping these people. They're in the past. They're most of them dead. There's nothing we could do to make a difference to the situation. And so in both cases, one might say, it's not that we have a different kind of emotional response. It's that we lack instrumental beliefs about what to do. Do to help or to, in the case of fear, to evade. Equally, so I might read a really dramatic report of some recent events involving a psychopath and I might feel genuine fear for the people who are being described. I believe that they're real, I believe the situation is real, but I don't have any motivation to do anything because there's nothing I could do. That looks like it's an ordinary feature of emotions, not something we need to explain
0: away. What about this problem that readers and people who go to the movies seem to relish some of the emotions, some of the negative emotions that if they were felt towards real people would be horrific.
1: I think the thing to say here is to point yet again to cases of so-called ordinary emotions which exhibit this feature and we can find them pretty easily. So people that go on roller coasters, people that go bungee jumping, people that seek out scary situations, they seem to be doing it partly because they get something positive out of it, they enjoy it. So it does look possible to enjoy fear. It may be that temperamentally half of us aren't like this, but nonetheless it's clear that some people are. I mean I've never done any empirical studies on it, but I imagine that you could probably draw a correlation between people who enjoy exposing themselves to fear in ordinary situations and people who go to see highly disturbing films. In both cases they're looking for the same kind of emotional response. So again, we don't have a reason to say that there are two things here.
0: And I suppose with something like melancholy, there's this sort of reward in melancholy. Some people actually like to be sad some of the time as you can actually take pleasure in a kind of a mood of sadness that's short of depression.
1: Yeah, I think that the reasons people seek out melancholy fiction will differ from case to case. But one characteristic explanation might be that fictions allow us to crystallise emotions emotions can be things that we aren't very sure what they are when we have them we can have lots of inchoate feelings and not really be able to express them or understand them and sometimes contact with fiction that forces these emotions into expression can be a way of coming to a release them and b understand them so you might think of fiction as a kind of testing ground for feelings that otherwise wouldn't be fully understood or expressed
0: Are there any benefits from approaching fiction in the way you've suggested treating these emotions that we feel in the presence of fictional characters as real emotions rather than quasi-emotions?
1: Yes, I think treating them as real emotions fits with a a narrative that I'm a fan of, which suggests that fiction is an immense source of value in ordinary life, or can be. On the one hand, we can learn from fiction, we can gain knowledge from fiction, fictions can contain truths non-accidentally, and that fiction can also be a source of understanding, where understanding is different from knowledge. We can come to understand, for instance, why people might act in a certain way by reading fictional representations of actions and their associated motives. So there's the knowledge, the truth, the understanding about the world that fiction can give us, and there's also understanding of ourselves, learning how we might respond in certain situations to certain events that we haven't experienced. So fiction can be this enormous source of cognitive value. And I think if you compartmentalise our responses to fiction and say that they're not of a kind with our ordinary responses, then you lose the ability to explain that value.
0: Kathleen Stock, thank you very much.
1: Thank you very much for having me.
0: For more information about Aesthetics Bites, go to www.londonaestheticsforum.org. And for more information about Philosophy Bites and how to support us, go to www.philosophybites.com.